what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films. I am Alan Jackson. With me, Chris Fry. Chris, how you doing, bud? Doing good. Yeah, we got some great things to talk about in today's show. Uh, this is Foot Candle Films. This is the show where we get together talk about some films. We give a few reviews. We talk about a little upcoming news and movie industry talk. And then we always cap off the show with our recommendation for the episode, a show that or a movie that you may want to go check out, consider of watching that's uh, typically available online. So it's something convenient you can go home and watch this weekend after listening to this podcast. Uh, Chris, we've got three films we're going to review today. Are you ready for this? Excellent. Yes. I've good. taken my vitamins, eaten my Wheaties. You full stomach. All You're all good. Yes. Ready to sit down and, and go through this. We've got Absolutely. three films we're going to be reviewing today. First one is the film No. Then we're going to do a little quick review of the film Iron Man 3. Maybe some of you have heard of that one. And then we've also got the film Pain and Gain, which Sounds I'm good. incredibly looking forward to us talking about. That okay. should be fun. Like I said, after that, we'll go into a little bit of movie news and uh, uh, discussions in the industry. And then we'll cap it off with our recommendations. Foot Candle Films is a part of the Mesh Network, and we're glad that you found this show today. Uh, we do encourage you to visit themesh.tv to check out any other shows that the network puts out. But you can also go back and listen, uh, go back in time and listen to all the past episodes of Foot Candle Films that Chris and I have recorded over the years as well. They're all free. They're all there, ready to download, ready to fill your iPod or iPhone or Android device with lots of movie goodness to get you through the day. So without Further ado, Chris, how about let's just jump right into our first review, which is the film No. Chris, we just watched this film, No, not even maybe 14 hours ago. It was fairly recent on our brain here. Yes. Uh, let me give the little synopsis for anybody who may not be familiar with the film and the concept here. Uh, this is a film from, from Chile uh, talking about uh, Chile's 1988 referendum process uh, where we have an ad executive played by Gail Garcia Bernal, who is, uh, plays the character of Rene Saavedra. And he is an ad executive that is approached by the No campaign, which is the campaign that's looking to defeat uh, Augusto Pinochet in Chile's 1988 referendum vote. The No campaign is basically trying to make sure he does not remain in power, while the Yes vote is trying to keep him in power. You've got a country kind of split as far as their perceptions. You know, there's a lot of uh, public support for the Yes vote. There's a lot of public support for the No vote. So this ad executive gets brought into the process to help come up with a campaign of how do we sell the No vote out there to the pub- to the public and try to expose maybe some of the things that they feel like have been going wrong in the country for years and trying to get more support for that to eventually defeat this referendum. I summed that up pretty good. That was an excellent summary. Thanks. Yes. I did pay attention, which was good. <laughs> this is uh, by director Pablo Lorraine. 
And again, as I mentioned, Gail Garcia Bernal is probably the big actor name on there. Everybody else seems to be uh, actors that I think may have uh, Mexico or other countries maybe maybe famous. But as far as ones we're familiar with, it's pretty much uh, Bernal at yes. this point. So we've got a historical drama. This is even the way it was shot was meant to basically be 1988. Um, I, 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 we'll get into this in a little bit, but just as, as you're watching the film, you notice immediately four by three ratio as opposed to a 16 by nine widescreen and is shot with three quarter inch tape stock, meaning it looks like videotape from the mid and late eighties, which I thought was interesting. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, but being a historical drama, first off, Chris, did you know anything about this story going into it? Were you versed in, in, in this stage of history at all in, in Chile or was this fairly new and, and how did it work to educate you in that situation uh, about what was going on at this time? I was very, I was very oblivious to the, I, I have heard of the dictator. I did not even remember he was from Chile. <laughs> I knew that Augusto Pinochet was in Chile at one time was a dictator and then he was not there anymore. And it was kind of a bad scene mm -hmm. outside of that. I was kind of oblivious. Okay. So. All right. So how did the film do then knowing that you were kind of going into it fairly fresh and blind about the whole story how did the film do in, in either sharing that story with you, but also making it an engaging or interesting film or whether or not it did for you, I guess. The film was very interesting and engaging for me. And I feel like I learned a lot about that period in history, specifically in Chile and about how they got Pinochet, spoiler alert, out of power. But I feel like I would have been better served maybe to understand a little bit more of the background because they have not just like in the United States, we have two political parties. They have several. Yes. So it was kind of confusing to see like the differing views that were kind of jockeying for positions sure. to oppose Pinochet. So that, that was a little confusing, but it didn't, it didn't harm my opinion of the movie. I still found it. You could have used enjoyable. a little more background actually, uh, as opposed to it, it did kind of just jump you in with three or four title screens, basically said, here's the situation and go. Right. And, there was a lot more story to tell. That's even some feedback we got from some of our audience members last night is saying, you know, there was a lot more to it that happened before this film that would have been nice to see more, more detail on. But, you know, it is a two hour film. I mean, it had a lot to, to do in that time anyway. Sure. And I, I feel like it would have been it would have diluted it even more if they would have tried to stretch it out and tell more of that history. I wanted more. But in retrospect, I'm glad that they didn't give me more information because mm -hmm. the movie at two it's running time, like two hours. I felt it was already pretty pretty long for what they were trying to do, but it was effective and I liked it. So, but I think adding more information when you would have had to expand the yeah. time and it would have just muddied things. So. All right. What did you think of uh, Gail Garcia Bernal in the, in the film? I, I've liked him in other films that I've seen him in, and this one was no exception. Uh, a lot of the other ones, except Motorcycle Diaries, uh, he doesn't really have a lead role. Mm -hmm. He's usually, you know. Uh, you know, supporting character with this one, he got to be the lead and I felt like he did, he did fine. Yeah. I, um, I really enjoyed watching him in this film. Actually, I really enjoyed this film as a whole. I, uh, um, normally not a big fan of historical dramas or reenactment dramas. Um, Argo, I think I even mentioned earlier in one of our episodes, I was okay with, I thought it was a good film despite Ben Affleck and some other things. Sure. This one, obviously being a little more recent in history, 1988 versus the seventies, I uh, had a little bit of that same feel to it where I felt like at times it was got a little bit of a documentary feel to it where, especially there was one scene in there again, and we're not spoiling anything with this. This is all historical record of right. what happens here, but 
as uh, Rene, uh, Bar- Gail Garcia Bernal's character, is brought in to meet with all of the head representatives for the No campaign, talking about the campaign, and he's really inquiring them, why, why are you doing this? Why do you feel this way? And they're having this dialogue around the room, and the camera is basically like swiveling to whoever happens to start talking. It felt like, I mean, that scene to me felt authentic. Sure. It really felt like, okay, yeah, I'm sitting in a room watching these 12 people bicker and kind of argue with one another. And it was done extremely well, I think. So, you know, you try to convey something that really happened in history. There's always going to be people who maybe had some personal experience with the event that can pick it apart. But I, I'd be hard pressed to say that this film didn't try to strike a true realism uh, tone as much as possible. It seemed that way anyway. And the way it was shot, the way it was made, uh, I really like that more documentary handheld feel that a lot of it had to carry on. I agree. I think the choice they made to shoot it like they did and make it look older, I appreciated all that. Mm -hmm. And that scene you call out, that wasn't a very effective use. And throughout the film, there's this, because the government is against these people that are trying to do the no campaign, obviously, um, the way they would shoot it, there would be a lot of jump cuts Mm -hmm. and a lot of, a lot of times they would be out on the street kind of talking. And it was almost as if you were a government official looking through the camera lens and and it would do kind of like weird zooms. It was kind of like Mm -hmm. you were basically spying on this. I could see that, you know, spying on them all the time. So it was, it was very effective. I will say I'd have to look at the movie again because I've only seen it once, Mm -hmm. but there were some instances towards the latter part of the film where they broke format and went with film. Hmm. And I found that very, they didn't change the aspect ratio, but the graininess and a lot of the look to the film was cut. Hmm. And it was, but if you wanted to defend the film, you could say that they're making some commercials to promote. And at one point they kind of switched from video looking things to doing a little bit more professional film things. That could be. So you could use that excuse and say, well, that's why the film itself switched to looking more professional format. But it, it, I wish in a way it would have just stayed the whole format Mm -hmm. the whole way Mm -hmm. through. And it wasn't a lot, but there were definitely some instances uh, there was kind of a a meeting scene, not a meeting scene, but an outdoor political demonstration thing towards the end, and that switched. That was mm-hmm. one of the ones that I noticed that it had switched, and I was like, huh, interesting. Um, but maybe it was to maybe heighten the film in certain ways. I'm not sure. But anyways, yeah. it was it was effective. I wonder what you think about, as far as this film was nominated for an Oscar. Mm-hmm. It went up against a more for this yeah. past year's mm-hmm. Oscars, and it lost. Um, but it was an official entry from Chile. Yes. So not a Hollywood film. Yes. Um, do you feel like this film would benefited from not being in the Hollywood machine and being from, you know, Chile where the story happened? Well, it might have benefited commercially, but not artistically. I okay. think I think it needed to be the kind of film it was to be as good as it was. Sure. And filmed where it was and financed the way it was. I'm really glad they had uh, Bernal in there uh, sure. as a lead because I think he's engaging enough that – he's able to bring a little bit more attention to this film that wouldn't have gotten any attention otherwise. If he hadn't been involved in the film and it had been directly out of Chile and no Hollywood influence, man, I, I would be a shame, but I don't think hardly anybody would have seen it. His involvement ratcheted up a little bit. I'm glad it got the recognition from the Academy as well, because it deserved to be up there. It, oh, this is absolutely. a good enough film that it, it deserved to be one of those top foreign films from what I've seen anyway. The one There was a time in the film where I felt like and it maybe contributed some to the length of the film where they were kind of going for a little bit of a Hollywood uh, trope to kind of draw more people in and add a little bit more meat to the bones of the mm-hmm. film. And it was the relationship uh, with his ex-girlfriend, but basically right. the mother to his child. Yes. And, you know, this is biographical, so mm-hmm. it, you know, it's historical. So there was foundation for it, but I feel like sometimes they kind of 
tugged at some things and put a little bit more in there than maybe they really needed to. And it was, it was an, and it was an attempt to, I think, you know, draw audiences in and make something more. I don't think, I don't know. I guess if you were to take that out, it probably wouldn't be as strong a film. But. I think you needed to have that emotional story for him because I don't think he was emotional. The lead character, Renee, in the film was not an emotional character towards the referendum vote. Mm-hmm. He was emotional towards his family. I mean, right. everything really hinged on his son and this woman that we never really learned if it was ex-wife. We don't know if it was... It's not current girlfriend, but it was mother of the child. We're right. not really sure the the details of the relationship there. I think you had to have that entire subplot with her and with the boy to really understand who this guy was because he never got passionate about the vote in the campaign as much as he was. He didn't want anything to ever harm or endanger either of those two. And both of them had moments where they were in danger and partly because of the situation in Chile that they were faced with. That's, I think, what his key driving factor was for being involved, not I want to see this guy out of power or I want to get the accolades for doing a really great campaign, which I thought was interesting even down to the last shot. I mean, we're basically in the shot with he's back in the advertising standard world where he's, you know, even coming up with a campaign for a soap opera. And he kind of has, as he's showing the client, you get this almost vacant look in his face where it's just he's either emotionally drained with what he's having to, had to go through in that campaign for the political campaign, or he's disappointed that he's now back to doing something he doesn't really feel like is really benefiting the greater good sure, or something. I don't know, but it's just, it was a little bit of that. He's kind of come down off that high and now he's back to doing something that maybe doesn't have quite the same impact on the world that he had just a few weeks ago. So I thought that was interesting. I, I liked the way they, that tone that they ended on. It wasn't this big uplifting, inspiring tone they had that, but then they right. brought it back down at the end to kind of show you how he was being affected by it. And I think if it had been part of the Hollywood machine, it probably would have just ended on that huge soaring note of yep. like, look what we've done, you know, triumphant right. Right. orchestra music. It really came back to him in the end and, and the impact that whole situation had. What I, I, I appreciate that aspect of it, too. And it made it reminded me of a show that maybe a couple of you have heard of called Mad Men. Um, Mad Men? Mad Men, yeah. And it's hmm. about advertising executives. Okay. And, and it flashes back to our past. It's right. like in the 60s, 50s, huh. 60s and stuff. That's a novel yeah, idea. I know. Okay. It mm-hmm. sounds like it'd be an awesome show. I it hope is, it catches it on one good. day. I know. I hope they make it. <laughs> but um, I, mean, I this was kind of an, another example of that where these guys are ad executives yep. and they have this really important campaign that was monumental. And, you know, they kind of make a difference. Now, yep. whether or not they it would have gone the way it did. You, know, you don't know. Sure. But I really enjoyed that aspect of kind of showing you behind the scenes of an ad firm and what they deal with in meetings with clients. And that I, I enjoyed that. thought it was really neat. Any, any misgivings with the film other than you just a couple of times you said it, it kind of veered into that subplot with the, with the woman that you thought was maybe a little overdone or extraneous. And, and I can't, couldn't tell if it really did switch to film or whether they just started shooting really nicely, yeah. but something about the form. I liked the fact that they chose it, the but stock at some point some I felt point. like either the stock changed or something, something. Yeah. But no, those are very minor, minor okay. misgivings. I overall, I'm, I was very pleased with the film as well. I thought for a two hour running time, a historical drama piece like this, it, it ran really smooth to me. I, mm-hmm. I didn't really notice the time after a while. Gail Garcia Bernal, great actor. And just, he's, he's engaging and fun to watch and just about any role I've seen him in. So, the fact that he's on screen 75% of the time in this film, I think really was a good thing, oh, yeah. uh, made it very engaging to watch. So now I think we both can highly recommend no 
great film. It has been out for a little while. It's not exactly a brand new film. It's been out in the market for a while. Of course, it was uh, nominated for Best Foreign Picture at this recent Oscar ceremony a few months ago. So should be available. It may even be available on DVD by now. I'm not even really sure at this point. So be. definitely worth checking out. I think whether you have any knowledge of this event back in 1988 uh, happening or not, uh, whether you remember the news at the time, regardless of any of that, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting, very, very, uh, a very, very good, solid film to watch there. Agree. Okay, great. Now let's move on to one that uh, we're kind of bouncing all over the spectrum in types of movies here as we move on to our second review, which is me talking about the movie Iron Man 3. I'm Tony Stark. I build neat stuff. I got a great girl. And occasionally save the world. You elected me on a single platform. I will defend this country at all costs. The Mandarin must be stopped. You don't know who I am. You'll never see me coming. What are you going to do about these attacks? The question, where is Tony Stark? Things are different now. I have to protect the one thing that I can't live without. That's you. Mr. Stark, today is the first day of what's left of your life. Alan, I'm thinking there's like a word processor program for movie, movie studio execs. Okay, I guess okay. it wouldn't be a word processor, but it helps them generate these ideas. For like an automated program that can just generate kind ideas of. for movies? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And in this instance, I'm thinking they found and replaced any mention of Whiplash with the Mandarin. Okay, so they kind mm-hmm. of did a find and replace there. It kept subplots of like Tony Stark whining and being kind of mopey. And kept also making like puppy eyes at uh, Pepper Potts. And then Played they, by Gwyneth Paltrow. Yep, yeah. Go ahead. And they cut the name of director John Favreau and pasted in a new name, Shane Black. Alan, you having seen Iron Man 3, is there more to it than that? Uh, yes, but not necessarily in a good way. Oh. Okay, so, so <laughs> the, the whole copy-paste thing, no, you're actually kind of off track on that. Okay. This is a very different film. Okay. I'm not saying it's a better film. Oh. It's just it's very different. Okay. Uh, I will say, and this is Iron Man 3, just for those of you that have been living under a rock for a while or <laughs> refuse to pay attention to any of these big blockbuster films, we've got Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, got the you. Iron Man in the title, Iron Man 3. And uh, this is, of course, the third film, hence the three at the end of the film name. First film, very successful. People like. Extremely successful. Second film was a huge letdown. And I will tell you, I was extremely disappointed with Iron Man 2. I thought it was very cliche it was okay. boring it just didn't work where gotcha. i really did enjoy iron man one i thought it was a good solid blockbuster superhero film i think mainly because robert denny jr at that time if you recall before the first iron man came out he was not really on the the top spotlight as far as acting goes right he had had his own issues with you know, the, the the law and drugs and all that this and i th- iron man and sherlock holmes kind of brought him back they around, did those right? two films within a year or so all kind of brought him back in the spotlight now he's huge multi multi million dollar megastar absolutely um so that was kind of the interesting joy in iron man one is that you get to see robert downey jr just cut loose really embrace this character and it was fun it was a fun movie okay. iron man 2 was not <laughs> now iron man 3 i will say some falls somewhere in the middle okay it is nowhere near as good as the first one okay but it's nowhere near as bad as the second one somewhere falls cleanly in the middle Okay. It is a different style. Shane Black, who's the director, he's only directed one other film. Okay. And that was Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Have you oh, ever seen that? I have. Also starring Robert yes. Downey Jr. And with Val Kilmer, I believe, too. 
known for kind of more witty dialogue and a lot of bantering back and forth, a mixture of humor and some darker crime elements. Gotcha. Well, that all got carried over to this film. Okay. The film has a lot more banter. Uh, it does go into a, some some darker places at times, but never too dark to where the kids get freaked out or anything. There are some interesting surprises. One very huge surprise about halfway through the film that really? I really found exciting in that they, huh. they threw a huge curveball that I did not see coming. <laughs> Made it very, very enjoyable really? uh, for that moment. Okay. <laughs> Didn't carry through the whole film, but at least that <laughs> moment is like, wow, that okay. was really cool. That to was have really a surprise fun. like that, I would not be expecting that going to an Iron Man movie. Yeah. So that's, that's good. No, that was a really nice surprise. Now, okay. the rest of the film was very, to me, lackluster. It, it it just didn't work as well as that first film. It didn't have the same level of magic. It it uh, We spent a lot more time with Tony Stark outside of his armor, which okay. normally I'm okay with that in a superhero film. Unfortunately, the scenes here, the, the longer periods of time, didn't quite work. We, this film looked at him as a character that was actually having some emotional issues for hmm. once. You know, the first two films, he is Mr. Happy-Go-Lucky. There's really very the little... The second film, he's like sick and there's all this like he's... Well, he's out. physically sick, okay. but not emotionally. Okay. I mean, he's still cocky and self-assured. Okay. He's just having to deal with this physical element he's dealing with. Gotcha. Now, the third one, it's all emotional. Okay. They referenced the Avengers film. Okay. And that's actually his big thing is that all of this blank went down in New York City during the Avengers, and he's really gotten rattled by it. Ah. And actually, he's got kind of a post-traumatic stress syndrome going on where he wakes up in the middle of the night and he can't sleep. And he's just – if somebody starts talking to him about New York and that whole alien invasion, he starts wigging out. That element was interesting. They didn't go near far enough with it, but it was interesting. Okay. Um, it was really the villains that were the, the weak part here. And again, okay. I can't spoil... Is that plural? Villains. Yeah, okay. it's, it's villains. And, and okay. unfortunately, it's just the whole, their motivation, why they're, they're bad guys, and how charismatic or not charismatic those villains are <laughs> really hurt. And okay. the one really nice big surprise I told you had to do with one of the villains. But okay. in a way, it also pulled that villain off the table. Oh. So it was a cool surprise, but then once you learned the surprise, that villain was kind of non-existent the rest of the film. Gotcha. And you were down to one villain who was not very interesting and not as fun to watch. So things just got a little shuffled around. We had a few bit players in here that are okay. new to the franchise. Guy Pierce plays one of the villains, okay. uh, Aldrich Killian. Uh, Rebecca Hall, who I really like as an actress, is in this film uh, only for like 10 minutes and kind of wasted. What, Th- might, I, what might I know her from? Um, let's see. She would have been in Vicky Christina Barcelona. Okay. Uh, the town, uh, the prestige. Okay. Yeah. She's done a lot of good stuff and she's okay. a really good actress, but okay. very, mu- very much wasted in this film. Okay. John Favreau, who directed Iron Man one and two is still in the film. Interesting. He's, ha- he's happy Hogan, the happy, bodyguard happy Hogan. and actually has probably his biggest role of all three films in really? this one, which is kind of interesting. He's handed the directoral reins to somebody else. Do you else. think that's why he chose to do it? Cause he has a bigger part. I don't or? know, but he okay. was more prominent in the film than he had been the previous two. Okay. Ben Kingsley stars as the Mandarin, one of the also other villains as well. So a lot of good acting cr- credentials on, on the slate here, but other than, t- other than, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Nobody really gets to flex a whole lot of muscles here and have a lot of fun. Ben Kingsley, he has his. But well, that's a pretty big name, he, and he has his ten minutes of brilliance. But that's about it. Um, <laughs> and again, I can't say any more sure, than that without spoiling um, stuff. So overall, it was 
I like what they were trying to do. They did try to go a little more of a gritty tone at times. They did try to go a little more uh, snappy dialogue between people and add a lot more humor into places where you wouldn't expect there to be humor. But in the end, it still ended with a big 20-minute CGI spectacle Uh. fight scene that was just not very inspiring. And it was better than Iron Man 2, but still not, not one of the better superhero films we've seen in the last few years. Okay. Hope that summed it up pretty good for no, you. Yeah, I, I think so. And uh, I, I feel like ha- me not having seen the movie, mm-hmm. you've now encouraged me to kind of check it out. I would go check it out. And actually, me having set it up the way I just did, you may go in with a little bit lower expectations and actually really enjoy it. Okay. There is a lot to enjoy in the film. It's just as a whole, when you walk away from it, and you're like, eh, <laughs> it's kind of a mediocre, just didn't really do a whole lot for you. The best superhero films are the ones where you come out kind of just really pumped and just emotional. I think of Batman Begins. I mean, sure. I still remember that film where I walked out of that film saying, oh my gosh, you know, I am so jazzed about this character. I want to see another movie with them like right away. Sure. This one, yeah. um, it does kind of button up their whole story and mm. I'm glad it did because I really don't need to see them anymore after this film. I'm kind of... Which I've heard that supposedly, I guess, outside of Avengers stuff, this is it as far as... Well, they say that. They but, say that. you know, you money make enough talks. money, they find enough <laughs> reasons to have an Iron Man 4. So. Sure. So it was a mediocre film. I'll leave it at that. Okay. It's worth going to see if you're a fan of the character, if you like Robert Downey Jr., if you're interested in some of the little twists and turns they throw out there, if you're interested in seeing Shane Black, who I think is a good director, and he's written... He's actually written more than he's directed. So he's more of a writer. He's written a Lethal okay. Weapon. Okay. Uh, several other big blockbuster films, action films over the years. He's a very well-known writer. Okay. Kiss came, Kiss Bang Bang was his first directing effort. And then this and is that was a couple of one. years ago. It was probably four or five years okay. ago at least, yeah. Anyway, so that's where we are with it. Mediocre film. Go see it if you're a fan of the franchise. Go see it if you have a few, a couple hours to kill on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon. But don't go out and seek it as it being one of the best adventure action films of the year. Because I just don't think it held up as well. Okay. All right. So that's Iron Man 3. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to review Pain and Gain, the latest opus from uh, uh, Michael Bay. Is that the right word for it? Opus? Is it epic? Opus is like a whole series of films, right? Sure. I don't know. I got my, I got my language all mixed yeah, up here. I'm going to have, have to check that up. Whatever it is, the next Michael Film. Bay endeavor. We're going <laughs> to talk about Pain and Gain, as well as a little bit of a previewing some summer movies coming up and talking about our recommendations. So stay tuned for Foot Candle Films. We'll be right back. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films. I'm Alan with Chris. We just had our review at the first half of the show of the films No and Iron Man 3. We're going to move on to our next review in just a moment. Before we do, just as a reminder, we do have our uh, website where you can go learn a little bit more about our film society. That's footcandle.org, the Foot Candle Film Society. Uh, find out what kind of films we're showing in the, in the coming months and, and all that. Now, Chris, you and I have started kind of signing on to a new service as well that we've been playing around with called Letterboxd. You've yes. been enjoying that? Yes. It's pretty cool, right? It is. I like and it. They're not a sponsor. We're not plugging them. We're not endorsing them. But they can be. Them. Anytime, yeah, guys. Letterboxd, you know our address. <laughs> Letterboxd, that's the word letterboxed without the E at the end. So Letterboxd with a D at the end. 
letterboxd.com. It's a free service. You can go on board and sign up and basically log the films you see and share with your friends or follow other people to see their films and reviews. Chris and I are both using it. We're posting up generally what kind of films we see on there and give it some star ratings. So feel free to connect with us there and uh, keep an eye on what we're watching. If you want to go back and listen to old episodes of Candle Films, you can do so at themesh.tv. Go back and listen all the way back to episode number one several a couple years ago and uh, catch up on all the film reviews we've had since then. And we always love to hear from you as well. Drop us a line at info at vmesh.tv if you've got questions, ideas, or anything you'd like to talk about, or maybe some recommendations for us to consider in future episodes. Okay, so Chris, we're going to move on to our next review. Are you ready for this? Yes. Michael Bay's... I'm walking away from a huge exploding car, and I'm wearing sunglasses. Yes, and we're not turning around and looking. By all means, no. We cannot look back at this explosion. That's right. Michael Bay's Pain and Gain. My name is Daniel Lugo, and I believe in fitness. All this began because it was time to push myself harder. Otherwise, I was looking at another 40 years of wearing sweatpants to work. I'm a self-made man. I made a lot of money. What's going on, Dio? You ever just get tired of being where you are, Adrian? When's the last time you paid your rent when it was due? I got a plan to change that. Where'd you do your time, pal? Up north. How you fixed for a job now? Chris, we actually had a, a nice long discussion about Mr. Bay. Yes. Was it last episode or maybe two it or three episodes might ago? Have been. Wasn't recent. that wasn't that long ago? We talked about Mr. Bay. Yes. We discussed how we uh have some misgivings with Mr. Bay's filmography up to this point. Definitely I, think, I do. <laughs> yes. I think you and I both agree that maybe The Island was probably the best of his films, not saying that was a great film by any means, but of all the films we've seen him do, that seemed to be one rising near the top. With in my opinion, even though you've never seen them, the Transformers films nicely filling in the little gully in the bottom. <laughs> um, there's not a lot of variation from top to bottom on the list here as far as likability on my end either. Gotcha. I was the one that brought up Pain and Gain, though, as saying, you know what? Maybe we should check you've this out. You've kind of seen a Red Band trailer? I, I saw a trailer, and the trailer was funny. And I thought, okay, this is a real story, true story, of something that happened back in the, uh, I believe, early, mid-90s. Yeah, I believe so. That yeah. time frame. And uh, I thought, okay, interesting. Mark Wahlberg, you've got Dwayne, the, uh, the Rock Johnson, and you've got uh, Anthony Mackie. Mm-hmm. All good actors in certain roles. You know, I, I, even though Mark Wahlberg's kind of hit or miss for me, sometimes he can be pretty good. You've got, a, you've got a film style where it's very kinetic. You've got a lot of colors and flash and music and fast editing and all that, um, which is pretty typical of a Michael Bay film. In this film, we're basically following... Three bodybuilders mm-hmm. um, that decide that they need the finer things in life. They're due the finer things in life and decide to take matters into their own hands by kidnapping and extorting a very wealthy gentleman that they come into contact with in order to get him to give over all their money. It's a little bit of a Robin Hood syndrome, and except that they're not giving the money to anybody else. But themselves. But they correct. feel like that this person should not have this money. Because they should jerk. have it. Because he's a jerk. And they're good people. And they're trying their hardest to live the American dream. Right. So what we follow is a good two hours worth of what happens with these three individuals as they go through with this plan and the after effects. Right. So with that, Chris. Yes. That's good. Introdu- I have no also real, a very good introduction. Good job. I have no real question for you oh. other than I just want to know, man, what did you think of this thing? <laughs> I, 
I found myself surprised okay. that I liked it as much as I did. All right. Um, because, you know, it was directed by Michael Bay. And as we've talked about, I don't have a very high opinion of his films. And the only reason I was going to see it was basically because of the hype you presented me with. Okay. I don't regret going to see it, but I was disappointed that he wasn't able to kind of break his chains of his past and kind of just mm-hmm. make this movie out on his own. The story is very interesting. I agree with you on that. And I think in more capable hands or somebody who likes telling a type of story without doing what Michael Bay normally does, I think it could have been even more successful and it would have worked for me more. Basically, this story reminded me a lot of Burn After Reading, the Coen Brothers movie. Okay, I see. And that movie is not one of my favorite Coen Brothers movie, but it does take people that are trying to get money and they kind of get in over their heads and they run against the law type Mm -hmm. thing. And they have humor in it. Okay. Okay, which I think the Coen Brothers do awkward humor very well. I mean, they're kind of known for that. Mm Mm-hmm. Pain and Game, one of the specific things that didn't work for me was the humor. Mm. Some of it was funny, but then because of the dark nature yeah. of this film, it the tone kept kind of shifting all over the place. It yeah. would go for these funny ha-ha slapstick moments, and then the next moment they will brutally kill someone. Yeah, <laughs> so. and I think you just hit on really my big issue with the film. I, I was actually kind of with this film for the first 45 minutes maybe or so okay. because it was going it was ridiculous. Right. But it was humorous to watch and sure. nothing had gotten too dark yet. Right. I think and I'm just there again, I'm not worried about spoilers. There's not right. really spoilers to deal with in this film, but I right. think about the midway point when they almost get to the point of running over the gentleman that they had kidnapped. Yes. And trying to kill him. I think to me that was the turning point in the film to say, okay, this, these three characters that I generally was enjoying watching, these three bodybuilders, right. have now turned to a point where I don't really like watching them anymore. And I think at that point, everything went downhill. The rest of the film was dirty to watch for me. It was tough. The, the switching in tones really kept throwing me off. Well, and I think, I think to make an interesting movie, he had that humor in there. So, and that was his attempt to try to make it more commercial. Like the, the trailer shows basically only, obviously you can't show some things, but it showed a lot of comedic moments. So it looks like it's more of a hangover type movie with a true crime element, in it, but it doesn't hint at the darkness. Yeah. And I'm, I'm with you that the darkness, the darkness bothered me. And it also, because I wasn't able to root for them and I start off the movie, you kind of, you don't know much about them. You kind of like them, but then you end up and they're the main characters. You don't like any of them. No, no. They're and, not redeeming individuals yeah. and you don't, you don't like And I'm them. not saying that's a problem to not like the characters, sure. but what you do is you spend the first hour of the film where you basically, they try to kind of make you love these, these lumps. Lovable these, idiots. Yeah, they're like, they're idiots, but right. you still kind of like what they're doing. Mm-hmm. The guy that they do kidnap. Yeah, he is a He's jerk. He's a jerk. And not to say that he deserved what he got later in the film, sure. but he was a jerk. Absolutely. Mark Wahlberg was somebody who, Really, you kind of he played Daniel Lugo, or there again, a real true character, sure, true, true uh, person. Uh, you, he played somebody who's eager, who had made some missteps in his life, but was really wanting to try to live that life he's always wanted. And it's just he was so misguided and thinking, I can just extort it from somebody and get it. You kind of like these guys until things got, got nasty, then you don't like them at all. And right. I think because of that turn, it just it made it really tough to watch. I needed more of a consistent feel. If you're going to introduce me to the three guys that in the end I'm going to end up hating and not wanting to have anything to do with, go ahead and make me feel that way about them now and get me not liking them and wanting to watch them get their comeuppance in the end. 
as opposed to this switching of tones that I think we got throughout the film. It could never quite decide if it was going to be a comedy, if it was going to be more of a crime drama, or if it was going to be more of a a, a after-school special taken to the uh, R level. Don't do steroids. You know, right, exactly. And, you know, me being a bodybuilder myself, right. I mean, I had a lot to relate a to A country in this music film. star and a bodybuilder. Exactly. Of course, I'm watching this, and I, God, I feel like some of it is just the story of my life, you know, in the weight room and right. uh, the, 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 the steroids and everything. So anybody who's seen me or knows me knows that's about <laughs> as opposite it can be. So, you know, but that first half of the film, it kind of had me. I'm like, all sure. right, I'm kind of enjoying this. This is not bad. It's got some funny moments. I think Dwayne Johnson, I still like watching him on screen. I, I do, too. Um I will point out one scene that I thought he really knocked it out of the park um, when he he slipped back into his uh, coke fiend habits yes. during a neighborhood watch yeah. type of get together. Yes, I thought it was hysterical. I just think he had he was a lot of fun to watch in that scene. Well, um, I, I agree, and I, I think you know Dwayne Johnson. I can't say that I've really liked any movies that he's been in. Yeah, uh, he was interesting in South on Tales, but. I have to say, I admire him because he seems like he'll do just about anything. Yeah. And he's not worried about what people think about him or where his career is going. He's just like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Script. So it's like yeah. here he has to play a over, over, uh, over uh, steroided um, bodybuilder guy who has this religious leanings where he's trying to find himself religiously, but yet he will still slip into fits of violence and rage. If, if so and prompted. has already served jail time. Yep. And <laughs> I mean, beats up a priest in one scene. Mm-hmm. But yet he also befriends the guy that they're extorting to some degree and kind of falls for his charm. Right. It's just he's all over the place on this. And it was fun to watch him. Uh, I liked him as a character. I liked his acting in this. Mark Wahlberg was playing the typical enthusiastic Mark Wahlberg. He was fine as well. It's just there again. He was good. I just, I just didn't like him in the last half of the film. And sure. I kind of was ready to see him get his, Come up get his, get his due, due yeah. serving. Yeah. And Anthony Mackie didn't really do much either way for me. I thought he was fine, but huh. nothing great. And then you got Tony Shalhoub as the Victor Kershaw, the jerk, the right. rich guy that they basically extort. What is it? What franchises he have? Uh, uh, Monk. No, no, no. The, the the food franchise in the film oh, that he Schlossky's, owns. Oh, Schlossky's Deli. Yeah, 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 so. yeah, yeah. And then you got Ed Harris, who shows up in the latter half of the film. Oh, I like Ed Harris. He's basically playing Ed Harris here. I mean, but he was fine. Well, I, I, the performances overall, I'll jump in and say that I, I liked everyone's performance. That was my least problem with the film. Ed Harris, when he came on screen and the role that he has as kind of an investigator, kind of, and he ends up getting bringing these guys to justice, kind of, or helps. I wish, as opposed to a comedy, it had been told more of kind of like a modern-day noir type mm, thing. Right. And using him as kind of our guide through things instead I didn't feel like he had enough screen time and if he had had more it would have maybe worked for me it It would have been a different film but that would have made it work better I guess for me I I felt like the film was long I think it it just really I was really starting to watch my look at my watch about you know 20-30 minutes before the end of the film waiting to see when this thing would be over I was getting a headache in the last half of the film (laughs) I was feeling dirty after a while so I can't really recommend the film myself I'm not going to say it was horrible it's just I really don't want to watch this one again. Sure. And unless somebody just really enjoys this kinetic style and the all over the place tone of the film, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody else. Um, I will say though, I mean, even though to me it's a two star film out of five, maybe it's still one of the better Michael Bay films. <laughs> it's, and so. I think it, when I say better, it's it's an interesting 
idea to try to make a true crime story like this have comedic elements. It just yeah. isn't pulled off very well. But it's an interesting in his filmography. Yeah. It's an interesting entry. I will say I'll give him credit for one for one little piece here that I thought was a kind of a fun little bit, and I wish that they had been more consistent with it throughout the film. But at the beginning, we got some of your typical title cards saying. This is a true story. This happened, whatever. Yes. It goes about two thirds of the movie and you don't see that, that trope happen again. But then when things start to get really crazy, nutty, nutty, (laughs) a title comes up and says, still a true story. Right. I'm like, okay, that's funny because it is, you kind of forget the fact that yes, this is a true story. This really Really happened. happened. These three people really went to these extremes to try to pull this off. Right. I did like that little jab to remind us. This is still a true story, people. This is getting crazy, I know. But trust us, this is still this true. This is still true. I wish they had done more of that tongue-in-cheek humor throughout and kind of carried it through than they did. But I like that moment towards the end of the film when they kind of brought us back, broke that fourth wall with us a little bit. So, right. Yeah. It was fun. Well, again, not a great movie. Not one I'm going to go out and recommend. But if you really like Michael Bay's films, you'll probably really enjoy this film because it is one of his better ones. And I think it's got more going for it than – than the, uh, the the Transformers ones or some of the other ones like that. And I have to say, you know, I think it's one of the best casting jobs of a film I've seen in a long time. Uh, I, I, I could, liked I all the acting. And I thought all the parts. Were, and we haven't mentioned, I'll mention one more performance okay. that I thought was really standout. It was a smaller role, but talk about perfect casting. Uh, the guy who played Johnny Wu, he's been in The Hangover. <laughs> yeah. he's, he was in a, he's in Dr. Pepper commercials, I think. Oh, yeah. But uh, Ken Jung is yep. maybe his mm-hmm. name? That's right. I, he plays a kind of self-help very abrasive oh, yeah. self-help gentleman, kind of like uh, Tom Cruise in Magnolia. in Magnolia. Yeah. But still, he, he he's owns funny. it. Well, <laughs> he's in Community. If anybody watches the oh, TV okay. show Community, he's, he's on that on a regular basis. He's actually a North Carolina guy. Did you know that? I did not know that. He actually got his medical degree from Duke, I believe, oh, wow. and actually went to school at Chapel Hill for a while, too, for a huh. degree. And then changed his life completely to went into acting, is what I understand. Wow. And uh, now he's really, he's funny. And okay. he does have a very small part in the beginning, but it, it was fun. Again, that was part of that opening 30, 45 minutes. I was totally with the film. I'm like, I don't really care for this guy's style, directing style, but I'm still, I'm following the story. I'm interested in the characters. This is fun. It just, when it turned dark and it kept going as kinetic as it did, it was headache inducing at that point for me. So, Pain and Gain, hey, Michael Bay, you know, Keep at it, man. You're getting you're creeping up there a little bit. You know, you got a little bit of a, a little bit of a claim from us here. Just a bit. Let's keep it going. I do have to say Armageddon is still my favorite Michael Bay film. Oh man. I know. That's a conversation for a whole nother day. I know that, Chris. You and I could get into that on that, but I will say I think Armageddon was still his best. There's film. a lot of pain in that one in no game. <laughs> Very nice. Okay. Now let's move on to something else. Uh the theme of today's show, other than no, no was completely out on the other side of the field. Yes. Pain and Gain and Iron Man 3, both kind of big films. Pain and Gain was number one at the box office a couple of weeks ago. Then Iron Man 3, of course, will be number one this past week and definitely probably for the week or two going forward. Sure. So summer movies are kind of getting to be all the rage right now. We're going into the summer. It's mid-May right now by the time we post this and you listen to it. So we got some other big, big summer movies coming up. And Chris, I just want to kind of throw them out at you rapid fire. You tell me you interested in seeing this, what's your initial take? What's our gut reaction going to be on how we think these films are going to be ready for this? Yes. Okay. So next week we got opening, uh, actually, I think I guess opening this weekend as we start to record this, the great Gatsby. Yes. This is Boz Lerman, Leonardo DiCaprio, your interest level. I it's, it's high. Um, I'm, I'm interested in seeing it. I was a little 
surprised that they slapped a 3D version of this yeah. together. I'm like, really? Well, this was originally <laughs> slated to come out in December last right. year, I believe, right. around Oscar time. Which then they move it to summer schedule. Can be which, concerning. Uh, well, it could be. Maybe they think Leonardo DiCaprio is going to bring in more people as a summer movie. Could I don't be. know. Um, I'm interested. I love Moulin Rouge. I know you do, I do too. too. Uh, although I have not been terribly interested in any of his films since Moulin Rouge. He did Australia, which I saw and was not good. Yeah, I, I never saw that. Never had any desire to. Has he done anything else besides Australia? I don't believe so. I think this okay. is his next effort after. So Australia. hey, if it matches the the tone and the energy of Moulin Rouge, I'll I'll be ready for it. But um, we'll see with that. Okay, Great Gatsby, Star Trek Into Darkness. You're not a Star Trek guy, so no, do you have I'm any not. interest in the film um, at all? But I am a science fiction guy. Yeah, so that helps. Um, and I'm. I liked the first film okay, better than I thought I would. And I went yeah. to go see it just because it was a summer movie. And I was like, okay, the reboot was good. J.J. Abrams is involved. Yep. As a rule, I usually like the stuff that he does. And the little bonus is the guy who plays Sherlock, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Cumberbatch, is in yeah. this movie. Yeah, is yeah, a, which he's a really, bad guy. he's fun to watch. So I'd, I'm, I'm interested. Okay, I'm interested. good. I am too. I'm, and I've never a Star Trek fan growing up, but I, I'm, I kind of mirrored exactly what you said. I really liked the reboot that J.J. Abrams did. Generally, J.J. Abrams, I'm mostly on board with what he did, except for Super 8 and uh, <laughs> Star Trek. I like the one that came out a couple years ago. I'm, I'm anxious to see. I think it's got a good cast. I really like the guys they have in place okay. in the roles there. Uh, the Hangover Part 3. You kind of alluded to it a little bit with Ken Jeong, but uh, yeah. any interest in seeing this third in the, this final Epic in the trilogy here. Okay. Just a little brief aside. I went to see The Hangover after it had already been hyped. I was one of the last people on earth, I think, to see it, other than the Eskimo who hasn't seen it yet that lives in Alaska. But outside of him, I think I was one of the last people to see it. And I'm just like, there's no way it's going to live up to the hype. It's just not. Mm -hmm. And it did. It worked for me. I really liked it. And I remember coming out of theater, I was like, you know, it would be so incredibly awesome if they leave this movie alone and don't make any sequels, there's probably no way they're going to do it. But if they could, despite yeah. all the money, that would be it is a perfect standalone. Amazing. Movie. Yeah. Totally, totally perfectly standalone. Well, the premise is just, it was a unique enough premise. And you're like, just don't yeah. mess with it. Just don't mm. mess. Okay. Hangover two came out. Have not seen it. I haven't either, but I've heard people talk about it. And the reason I didn't was just because it was just like, there was just no reason. So I, I didn't see it. I have to admit, the fact that they're making a third movie, does that interest me? No. But they claim this is it. This, is, this ties the whole series together or whatever. And it's like, really? Okay, so you're making a bold statement. This is going to be the last one. I, I'm kind of curious, but I'd, I'll probably wait to see if people say it's good. Yeah. So, and then again, I'm assuming I can totally skip the second one. But. I'm not terribly interested, although I did think the first one was very funny. I thought it was a neat novel approach to a comedy. I did not see the second one because everything I heard was just very repetitive of the first one sure. and even a little more darker and a little more, uh, a little more vulgar. And I just, I don't know the first one. I, I guess I was kind of like, I kind of like this first one to be a, its own movie. Right. I don't really want to taint it with another film. And anyway, right. So I'm with you. I, I if I hear really good things about part three, I'll go check it out. Otherwise well, you check I'm it out not. without seeing part two. <laughs> well, I may, I don't know. Sure. I, I'm afraid I'll get lost. So, yeah. All right. Let's skip ahead a couple of weeks here. We've got two films here. Uh, After Earth, which is M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. 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 But with Will Smith and his son. What's his name? Smith. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this one. I do like Will Smith. But I'm trying really hard. He's with his son. I'm like, oh. I'm not, trying not really cool. hard. I, I don't know why I keep giving this Shyamalan guy more chances. I really don't. I've seen all of his films except for The Last uh, Airbender which okay. I heard was really bad and I just don't have any desire to see it. 
But I'm, God, you know, because he bought so much goodwill with me in The Sixth Sense mm-hmm. and Unbreakable, Unbreakable and Signs. Yeah. Those three. And I, The Village was okay, I yeah, thought. Yeah, but you know, I know we've talked about his films sure, before. We have. I'm, I still want to give the guy a shot. I got you. So I, I may go check it out and see. We've also got the internship, with, which is uh, Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson huh. talking about getting an internship oh. at Google. Oh, that looks horrible. Doesn't it, though? It looks absolutely horrible. The previews are not funny. And I don't understand why Google let themselves be used. And it, Unless, just, it just, the premise just doesn't seem like something interesting. No. Um, and it seems preposterous, too. So two no. guys who are not even involved in technology apply to get an internship at Google and are trying to fight their way through it. It just... It's it, it's so cliche and I don't get it. It looks bad. Yeah, so I don't really have any interest in that one. No. All right, the Superman movie, Man of Steel. You're you're exhaling. You're not I, excited. I am exhaling. No. Oh, um, the only this thing is that, the one I'm really excited about. The only thing that makes me and I'm not excited, but make what makes me interested. Mm-hmm. While I will not resent going into the theater, act like a cat about to be put in a bath and hide my claws, extend <laughs> so I don't get pushed through the theater doors. Is the fact that Michael Shannon's involved as Zod? Yeah, that that is that is it. Nothing else. I'm Zack very Snyder. Excited. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> the la- the latest trailer they put out is beautiful, and I'm willing beautiful. to give this film. Yes, I'm willing to give this <laughs> film a chance. Willing to give it a chance. I I want desperately a really good Superman movie. I, and I'm sorry, Superman Returns that Brian Singer did years ago was bad. It was boring. It didn't work. Uh, this one, I'm I want to see it happen. Okay. Do. World War Z with Brad Pitt. I'm hoping this is the nail that is put in the zombie coffin. The previews and everything I've read about this movie sound absolutely atrocious. Yeah, it's gone way over budget and all that stuff. Yeah. And plus all the visuals I've seen, it's a huge, heavy CGI oh, yeah. thing with all these CGI zombies. zombies running through the streets. But they're not like zombie zombies. They're like supercharged. <laughs> they like pile on top of each other to make giant tunnels up to the sky. I don't, I don't get it. It I, doesn't. I, yeah. Nothing has been encouraging that I've seen or heard about this film so far. No. Me, right. me, me neither. It's like a supercharged 28 days later, yeah. but it doesn't look good. This is the one I'm expecting to be noted as the biggest bomb of the summer. I'm already going on record. World War Z. As a, yeah. As I opposed believe, to the internship. I mean, internship the biggest budget and expectations. Yeah. Internship may you. not do good money-wise, but it probably didn't cost a whole lot. Right. World War Z cost a ton right. and i don't think it's going to make a dime of it back hardly right. so i think and, we're going to hear about that at the end of the summer and I know that people being are the mixed on brad pitt the acting that he does in the trailer looks horrendous yeah, i'm sure he does better than that in the rest of the movie but yeah. oh man the lone ranger <sighs> you know johnny depp is I, I i i'll see even though he's kind of doing an indian version of uh it's an indian Pirates version of, of, Jack, of jack sparrow, yeah, jack sparrow. I, a native american so yeah right I, I yeah i'll probably I'll, I'll i'll see it i'll see it I loved the Lone Ranger as a kid. I oh, love. See, I the, have no attachment. To I love the version in the 1980s. They did a version of film, The Legend of uh, Legend of the Lone Ranger, I believe it was called, hmm. that I really liked as, as well. So I'm curious, although I really don't need another film in the style of the Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy. Which is That's what I'm afraid what of. This is set up to it's going to be over the top, huge CGI spectacle scenes. And is it? A, it's a Bruckheimer. It's a Bruckheimer and it's a Gore, Gore Verbinski. So it's set up it. to be the yeah. exact same way. Yeah. And they even in the trailers, it's pretty much from the people who brought you the big Pirates of the Caribbean logo. Yeah, they're really playing that up. I don't want that. I want a good classic Hollywood style Lone Ranger, not this over the top CGI. You know what? Big set piece thing. Since we're since we're playing, we can make movies better. We're playing Fix yep. It Shop. Okay. How's this? A Lone Ranger movie, but done in the style of like the Young Guns movies. Yes. 
Wouldn't that Perfect. be awesome? No, it'd be great. Yeah, that's what I we agree. need. That would... I agree. I, I want a true Western film, and I'm sorry, everything I see in the trailers for The Lone Ranger makes it look like it's going to be just a big dumb action piece. I'd be surprised if you're not right. And I want I want a little more character development. I want a little more nuance. I want a little more of that true classic Western feel to it. Are you interested to see what Army Hammer does after social yeah, network? Yeah, and I like him as an actor. I okay. really do. And I when I heard he had signed on, and I heard Johnny Depp had signed on, I'm like, okay. We got two actors I will enjoy watching for two hours. Right. Then I heard it was Gore Vabinsky like, uh, and the same producers of the Pirates <laughs> movies. I'm like, oh boy. Okay. Right. And then I saw the trailer. Some elements of the trailer look really fun. Others look way just mind-numbing. And I'm, I'm not in the mood for mind-numbing these days. Sure. So, uh, just a couple more. We're almost to the end here. Okay. Pacific Rim. Ooh. Gu- uh, Guillermo, Gil- Guillermo. Guillermo del Toro. Yes. This is his big... Giant robot, giant fighting monster movie. You're 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 pausing. Yeah, no, not I'm interested. not I'm not I'm not interested in it. He, the director, having done Pan's Labyrinth, you know, which yeah. I, I liked, um, but that's kind of his high. The Hellboy stuff I didn't really care for. It was interesting visually, but I didn't really care for it that much. Um, I'll probably have a wait and see kind of attitude on that. One. I'm extremely. You like giant intrigued. fighting robots? I do. I love giant <laughs> fighting robots and Was giant it real fighting steel? monsters. Oh yeah. Okay. Love real, real steel. Real right. steel still somehow creeped crept into my top one of my favorite films of like a couple of years ago. Sure. Uh, I love giant fighting robots. Okay. So I'm interested. Although I've gotten to the point as my age progresses, I'm more and more fed up with over CGI'd films. Which giant robots, it's going to be yeah, hard not to have it. it's going to be yeah. CGI. Gotcha. So the, for me, it's going to be how convincing is the CGI. Are they if making it like, 3D? Oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah. If, mm-hmm. if I feel like I'm watching a video game for an hour and a half, I'm not going to enjoy it a bit. Understandable. If I feel like there's actually some real depth to it, and that these fighting scenes are about as realistic as they could possibly look, given the situation, that may be something to it. Okay. Last film. This is the, comes out July 30th, I believe. The last uh, kind of the last big big film of the summer, The Wolverine. Mm. Uh, this is. Wow, I didn't realize that was coming out. Mm-hmm. There. Okay. This is uh, obviously you've got what's his name? Just Hugh talk, Jackman. Hugh Jackman is as Logan, the Wolverine. Uh, this How was does one this that figure into the other movie. Was what it, was that all, one even called? They're not. The other one was called X Men something. No, I'm talking about Wolverine. the one that just had Wolverine. Oh, okay. Just yeah, just right. Wolverine. It was X-Men Origins Wolverine. Wolverine. Okay. This one is The Wolverine. Cre- this was they one that creative, Darren, man. Darren Aronofsky was actually attached to do this at first. Uh, it was going to be a very hardcore take on the character. Okay. Then he bolted. You've got James Mangold, I believe, who's not a bad director. <laughs> uh, 310 to Yuma, the, the remake uh, he did. He did a few other films. I think he did Walk the Line, maybe. Oh. Maybe, or okay. maybe I've got the wrong guy there. Where's sure. our intern? But yeah, exactly. Nick, the intern's gone, so we don't know how he who did what. Man. Um, but the Wolverine, I can't tell. I really, it's, I can't tell if this looks good or not. It all takes place in Japan. A lot of ninjas Whoa. and samurais, which is <laughs> which is kind of if you okay. know the Wolverine story, there's a lot there's of story lot of to his okay. ja- Japanese connection. I would not have guessed, not knowing it, I would not have guessed that ninjas <laughs> were involved oh, yeah. with yeah ninjas and samurais. So okay. will be in the movie. <laughs> it's got the potential to be really good. Okay, I'll say that knowing the story, knowing the characters, knowing the people involved, but uh, I just don't know. Gotcha. Jury jury is still out on that one. Okay, so that's our summer movie kind of preview prediction stuff kind of a mixed bag we got a few we're very excited about a few not so much me i tend to be maybe skew a little more in the summer movie territory than you do chris so i uh 
tad more excited about some of these films than sure. I think you've you've shown interest in. But we'll definitely be kind of touching base on them throughout the summer as we go, and we'll try to review a few of them. Not, not all of them. You know, we'll do the best we can with it. We want to make sure we're reviewing some good variety of films as well. So we'll we'll review our standard foot candle films that we show at our screenings, and we'll try to pepper in some of these bigger blockbuster movies along the way as well. Sounds so, fair. Stay tuned for that. Now let's move on to the last part of the show where we both end the show with giving a recommendation to you, the listener, something that, you know, you get home after a long week at work, Friday night, you got your Netflix, you got your Amazon, you got your whatever Hulu, and you just want to watch something. You want to watch something good. We're here to tell you what you should watch. (laughs) So Chris, let me farm it over to you first. What should they watch this weekend? So we've been talking about summer movies on June 21st, 1985. What huge movie came out? Uh, hold on. June 21st, 1985. Yeah. Uh, was it Top Gun? No, that oh. I would have been impressed. I would have been really impressed. It was a trick question. This movie did come out then. Oh, and it was supposed really to be a big did. summer blockbuster. It didn't do too well. Oh boy. Um, return to Oz. Okay. Have you ever seen it? Long time ago. Okay. Kind of freaked me out. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, actually I have, I have your sister, Mary yes. Margaret Baker, host of chick chat, another show on the mesh and parent trip. We were talking recently, and she brought this film up. I thought I had seen it, but I had never actually seen it. Mm-hmm. I looked it up. It is streaming on YouTube, the entire movie, for free. Okay. And I watched it, and I enjoyed it. And it, is it a perfect movie? No, but it's a Disney movie, which explains they got the rights back in 1985, made this, didn't turn out well, probably hoping for a franchise. And now all these years later, they make Oz the Magnificent, you know, to try mm-hmm. to kind of revitalize the franchise. Mm-hmm. Interesting kind of uh, history note on it, too. It was very dark and disturbing, as you've kind of mentioned. Yeah. There's several things in there that are kind of like, wow, this was a PG movie, mm-hmm. not PG-13. And I remember there being a lot of flack about that, too, when it came out. This was, I think, before they had PG-13. And it, and it, it shows, I think. Yeah. Um, interesting, too, Walter Murch, who's mm-hmm. the editor on Cold Mountain, he actually directed the movie. Oh, really? No, kind I didn't of, know that. Yeah, it's kind of bizarre okay so he was he was directing it had it was nominated for special effects uh for an academy award the year it came out but it lost to cocoon Hmm. so it's got some you know it's interesting there's a lot of uh story there to me story-wise it's a better movie than oz the magnificent I okay. Think. Right. Sure. Um, so it's it's an interesting now, it history, and it's a cult, the, it's a cult movie. It's based know? more on the book, right? The books, the tone Correct. of the original books. Correct. It's okay. Cr- yeah, it's based on because the, the original that, books are a little darker, a little, a little more intense than what the the, the sanitized movie that we had. And I, the first one, not being, you know, the big summer blockbuster guy, I do trend mm-hmm. towards the art house movies or the like cult classic movies. And unbeknownst to me, this was a cult classic that I'd never checked out. And I'm so glad I did. I, I, I say check it out. And like I say, it's uh, streaming for free on well, YouTube. I need to go back and check that out. I remember seeing it as, uh, as a youngster and being a little freaked out by it. That's all I remember. <laughs> I remember some elements. Oh, there's a guy with a pumpkin head or something. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. Which that. is, and interestingly enough, I guess you would kind of figure his name's Jack. Yeah. Um, which he looks like some of the opening sequences of Nightmare Before Christmas where Jack is right. wearing a pumpkin on his head, Jack Skellington. Yeah. So there's, I don't know, there's, there's a lot there, I think. Interesting. I'll have to check that out again. Well, mine, and, and Chris, I always have, I need to keep a list, or our intern needs to keep a list of all the films we've recommended over the last couple of years, because I'd be shocked if I haven't done this one before. Okay. I really don't remember ever talking about it, though. Okay. So I'm going to try it, and you tell me if I've said this one before. Okay. Uh, Spike Jones's Adaptation. Uh, we've talked about it, but I don't think you But not as a recommendation as much. Sure. Well, let me 
try to summarize what this film is because, man, man, just even the description is fun to listen to. Absolutely. So you've got Nicolas Cage playing two characters. Mm -hmm. He is playing Charlie Kaufman, who is the writer and director, not, not director, but writer of this film. Right. Okay. Charlie Kaufman is a true writer. He wrote Being John Malkovich. He wrote this film adaptation. Uh, he wrote and directed Synecdoche, New York. Yes. Um, very well-respected writer for some very, very interesting films. Mm-hmm. So this film stars Nicolas Cage as Charlie Kaufman, <laughs> but Nicolas Cage also plays Charlie Kaufman's twin brother, Donald, who doesn't really exist in the real life. <laughs> but in this movie, Charlie right. Kaufman has an identical twin brother named Donald. Right. So basically, Charlie Kaufman has been tasked with writing a film based on a book, and the book is all about orchids. The orchid thief. The orchid right. thief. So he is tasked with writing a book, a, not a film adaptation of this book, and he doesn't know how to do it because it's a very difficult book. He doesn't know what he's doing, and he cannot figure out how to adapt this book into a film. So now this film adaptation that we're watching is his process of <laughs> struggling with the fact that he can't figure out how to adapt this book into a film. You've got Meryl Streep starring as the author, Susan Orlean mm-hmm. of the book. Right. And she is wrote the book about a character played by Chris Cooper that she starts to have kind of a, a deeper personal relationship with. So you've got this whole chain of people involved, but in the end you're still coming back to Nicholas Cage as Charlie Kaufman trying to figure out how to tie all this together and make a film out of it. So we're right. watching a film that's struggling with trying to figure out how to make a film out of something. Now what makes it even more interesting to me is the fact that Charlie Kaufman wrote Being John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. And this film takes place while Being John Malkovich is being made. Right. So Charlie Kaufman, Nicholas Cage, visits the set of Being John Malkovich, a film that he wrote right and that ties into the story as he's actually visiting the set and has some interaction with the actors right john cusack um cameron diaz uh, cameron diaz and all that it's just when you start thinking about all the layers involved in this film it really starts to it's a good it's a good headache you get but oh, i mean yeah. it's just wow it's um and the fact that you know i've seen pictures of charlie kaufman he doesn't look anything like what Nicolas Cage portrays him as. It's almost like Charlie Kaufman wrote himself as this caricature of a guy that is almost unrecognizable from himself. Sure. It's just, man, is in some of the scenes where Nicolas Cage, this is the best thing Nicolas Cage has done in years. I will say, I agreed. Um, where he had to play against himself as the twin brothers or some of the funniest scenes in the film. I love, love this film. You and I saw it years ago together. Right. I remember. And, uh, Man, I, I really like being John Malkovich. I always thought that was a great film. This one, I think, has a personal, for me, is a better film. More enjoyable for me. Yeah. Um, maybe a little more, maybe not as inventive as being John Malkovich was, but just so many layers to this one, I think, makes it a lot more interesting to watch. I agree. And Charlie Kaufman's one of those people that if his name's attached to something, I'm on board because his three movies, you know, Schenectady, New York, where he directed that one as well, uh, Malkovich and adaptation. Those are just amazing, amazing movies. Um, yeah. Now, some people who have, who have seen adaptation kind of struggle a little bit with the end of it. And again, I'm not going to spoil it, but right. it goes into an ending that some have said it becomes a little more of a Hollywood ending and certain one of the characters, something happens to them and all that. And I, all I can say is when you watch the film, 
That's the point. Okay. And Donald Just, would have liked it that way. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the way it ended is not because they're trying to put a Hollywood ending on the film. It's because that's part of what they're struggling with is how do you take a film and they're kind of preaching a little bit about this canned formula of filmmaking that people are getting taught. Right. The ending makes sense when you think back to the rest of the, the, the theories going on in the film. So anyway, adaptation, love it. From 2002, Spike Jones. I don't think it's on Netflix for streaming. This is one you would have to rent on iTunes or gotcha. Amazon. So you would have to put a couple bucks into it okay. as opposed to on a Netflix or Hulu account. But believe me, well worth it. So, Well, I believe that's our show for today. Man, we covered a lot of, we lot of films once again. We're doing good with this, Chris. <laughs> no, we both give a yes to. Iron Man 3, I give a eh, kind of in the middle, <laughs> that little M-E-H word, meh. Right, meh. Meh. Right. And then Pain and Gain, we both say has some admirable aspects to it, but overall we can't recommend it. Right. Is that fair enough? That's very up? fair. Okay. And we talked about some summer movies coming up and our yays and nays on those. And then our recommendations, we've got Return to Oz and we've got Adaptation. So that does it for today's Foot Candle Films. Uh, again, if you want to learn more about our film society, you can do so at footcandle.org. If you want to go back and check out any of our back episodes, they're all listed at themesh.tv. We also encourage you to go and check out all the other shows on the Mesh Network. Uh, there's a whole variety of shows, a lot of fun stuff to listen to or download and play back. So we'd love to hear any feedback you may have for us. Info at themesh.tv if you've got email and uh, feedback for us. And again, with our film society, keep a post uh, look on our footkindle.org site to see what kind of screenings we're going to be holding in the near future. So with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off. Chris, thanks, man. You have a good weekend. All right. And we'll see everybody at the movies. Take care. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.